MP, it's here this weekend. That's right, Bretto. The Wellness Base Camp lands two hours south of Sydney in Kiama this Saturday, June the 2nd. Oh, naturopath, gut health and female health extraordinaire Helen Patteron will be joining us. Fuad Kassab from Quirky Cooking is coming down. Fellow podcaster Dr. Maria Zussman will be talking all about stress. And you and I, Bretto, will be there talking about love and relationships, work-life balance and how to truly master your wellness. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the Wellness Base Camp. One full day of inspiration and education on this Saturday, June 2, from 10 until 5. There's over 1,000 bucks in door prizes, a raft of world-class local exhibitors and a room full of people just like you. So bring a buddy and get two tickets for the price of one. All details and tickets available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hey there, gorgeous listeners around the world. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And today we're going to have a chat about uh, something that's a bit of an emerging concept and there's certainly uh, some science behind it. And we're just sort of going to have, I guess, a conversation because these are trends we've seen within our own practices and with our patients. And I guess the question to you is, have you noticed how um, relevant and how regularly you're starting to see the information out there about restrictive eating patterns and elimination diets and low-carb, no-fat-carb, high-fat? There's every variation, veganism. There's a myriad of different, um, you know, documentaries and movies coming out, all pushing different Um, I guess you'd call diets, wouldn't you, Andrea? And this is something that's um, causing a lot of angst and confusion and certainly – I know I'm certainly uncertain at times, which is so curious because I'm reading all this stuff going, well, hang on, they just said that's, you know, that paper says one thing and then this research paper says another thing and they're actually conflicting. So who's right? Um, so we're going to talk about some of those concerns around eating and when healthy eating can become unhealthy. And that's a certainly a really interesting thing. So we're going to focus on some of those concerns around, you know, our preoccupation with this new age health focus and how that can become disordered eating, really. And clinically, the term that they give to that now, which you may have heard, is called orthorexia nervosa. And essentially, that just means it's an unhealthy obsession with otherwise healthy eating is probably the best way to describe it. Uh, It was really interesting in kind of having a good think about this and preparing for the episode. And uh, it really is that obsession around what one considers healthy food and that obsession around eating only those healthy foods. And I'm sitting there going, um, I've totally got this. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm totally orthorexic in, in terms of, of that. But I, you'll see the distinction as we start to sort of tease it out and break it down. And I think that it's very easy to get used to that trap of restriction, particularly when you, I, I don't know, maybe hang out in the circles like what we do, Ash, with you know, for example, if we were to go to dinner with a lot of our colleagues or our friends, there would be 
everybody who ha- would have some kind of food choice or intolerance or, you know, something along those lines. Oh, absolutely. Whether it's, It'd be gluten-free you know, gluten or dairy-free. Dairy-free. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it probably wouldn't be any alcohol. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be reaching necessarily for the dessert menu. It would depend on, you know, the place, of course. And I can imagine what kind of a nightmare that would be for the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm – It's interesting to see how this kind of obsession can unfold. And I definitely think there's triggers. But, hey, uh, before we get into that and sort of break it down and help you to identify if that is really you, um, I want to announce that we're doing another 28-day reset. Our 28-day hormone reset program is uh, starting in the second week of June. We are super-duper excited about doing this. Um, We had the most phenomenal results from the last one that we did uh well beyond um what what i could have expected and i think we had a couple of women become pregnant (laughs) during the reset uh which is absolutely amazing uh we can't necessarily take credit for it but you know that that's pretty cool uh and there was certainly some really profound results um so i'm so excited to be working through that again um so ladies if you want to get some more info about it if the time is right for you we would love to have you on board um so if you just head to our website thewellnesswomen.com.au and i think it's forward slash reset 28 Mm -hmm. um or a pop-up will come up anyway and you can have a little read about that but essentially the program it's all online and it is all it's interesting that we that we're going to talk about this episode um because during the reset it is mostly food well yeah it there's a big focus on food-based changes to help to, you know, reset and rejig hormonal pathways that we're using through food, which is pretty cool. But there's also a big component in mindset and, and movement as well. Um, and then there's a closed Facebook group where you have direct access to us um, that we're, you know, answering questions and helping you out. Plus you get daily emails and recipes and meal plans and journals. And I think it's pretty amazing what we've put together, um, you know, not to completely toot our horn but i think it's pretty cool well so I do i and i think it's something andy because we- before i forget <laughs> no and i think it's a good thing too because we are about to talk about something that is life affecting uh so yeah. you know if we're really dealing with uh true orthorexia nervosa then it absolutely diminishes the quality of someone's experience of their life, which is, um, I, I have a feeling of like tragedy towards that. We're, we're put on this beautiful planet to live a great life and to share that love and, and truth with others. But when we're caught in the traps of, um, you know, I guess, obsessive behaviors, we can't express and be, you know, our greatest self. So a program like the one we've designed is whilst restrictive in parts, the whole idea is to break it down, and then rebuild. And that's the greatest um, part of that program to me is to see how, you know, by gradual elimination protocols and then the rebuilding of that, it allows you to, you know, restore uh, the balance and there's no encouragement towards sort of obsessive or compulsive behaviours towards food. It's all about that healthy eating mindset. Um, Yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, if we talk about, you know, who's attracted to programs and look, totally guilty of it. Why did we call it the 28-day hormone reset? There's a bit of catchiness to that. And so with all of these programs, with everything that's out there being promoted, every single one of them, without exception, has elements of sales and marketing in it. It's designed to tap into the 
conscious awareness of what we want. So the intellectual side of things, but also tap into the emotion of what we want. And this is where disordered eating can be, you know, become a problem because you're talking about this idea of being persuaded intellectually and emotionally, and then becoming compulsive about that and becoming so fixated on healthy eating that there's only one goal in every day of your life. And that is to make sure you stay away from the wrong foods or stay away from, you know, anything that's going to cause you toxicity. And there's this constant perpetual drive for purity, um, which, you know, and this, this is the difference between anorexia and nervosa. So if you're wondering orthorexia versus anorexia, um, orthorexia is the compulsion for healthy foods without the worries about weight. So they're not so much worried about, you know, what, what sort of weight you're at, but it's an absolute desire to not touch anything harmful, to make sure that you're absolutely purely eating and, and that sort of eating is perfection. So, you know, that's a really, um, big challenge because yeah, like you said, you feel like that. And I certainly look in my cupboard and think, oh, well, I could, <laughs> part of these boxes I could tick because, but yeah. then again, let, you me, know- <laughs> let me break it, let me break it down. Some of the signs and symptoms that go along yeah, with this. And good, you can see place. where like, I certainly felt like I'm totally blurring the lines in some of these, but then there's certainly absolutely lines that I, I do not cross. Um, and if you look at the, like essentially the dictionary definition of it, it's called a medical condition in which the sufferer systematically avoids specific foods that they believe to be harmful. Now, I would not call that a medical condition. I would call that healthy eating, healthy eating. Absolutely. I would <laughs> yeah. call that, you know, clean eating, making a conscious choice. There's no way that I would ever, um, you know, consume something that I believed to be harmful for my body. You know, that would just be crazy. Um, and I would think that that would be some sort of disordered eating. And this Orthorexia nervosa is not necessarily recognized uh, in the DSM system, which is the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, where we give maybe a medical or a psychological condition a you know, number or a phrase so that it gets then, um, you know, put into almost like a medical, uh, you know, rule book or or Bible. However, the signs and symptoms that go along with this, and this is from the National Eating Disorders Association, is that the first thing is there's the compulsive checking of ingredients lists and nutritional labels. Okay, I absolutely check ingredients lists. I absolutely check nutritional labels. Um, But, you know, I don't really consume that much stuff that comes with those in the first place. So if I am, I will definitely be checking that. Uh, The second thing is an increasing concern about the health of ingredients. You know, I, I think that most of us listening to that would have a concern about those things. Um, cutting out of, inc- of an increasing number of food groups. So, for example, all sugar, all carbohydrates, all dairy, all meat, all animal products. An inability to eat anything but a narrow group of foods that are deemed healthy or pure. And an, an unusual interest in the health of what other people are eating. Um, I think I definitely probably have an unusual interest in <laughs> what other people are eating. Um, but this is the area now where I think that it makes the very clear distinction between what could be considered a person who is invested in and focused on eating well, as opposed to someone who, you know, would have a bit of an obsession with it. And that is spending hours per day thinking about what food might be served at an upcoming event, uh, showing really high levels of distress when safe or healthy foods aren't available. 
an obsessive following of food and like, you know, quote unquote healthy lifestyle blogs on say Twitter or Instagram or social media. Um, and this is with or without body concerns. Now the term orthorexia universe was actually uh, coined I think he was back in the 90s, in 96, yeah, mm -hmm. by a guy named Stephen Bradman. And his actual uh, self-test that he has online is actually, and this is just from orthorexia.com because he was the guy that, that uh, sort of deemed this. You can go in there and you can have a little look at the questions that he poses and they're actually really quite interesting. So they're things like, do you spend so much of your life thinking about choosing and preparing healthy food that actually interferes with other dimensions of your life? So for example, the other dimensions might be things such as love, creativity, family, friendship, work, and school. Um, if you, if you eat any food that you regard to be unhealthy, do you feel anxious, guilty, impure, or unclean, or you get, uh, like quite disturbed being around those sorts of foods and you feel judgmental of others who will eat them? Um, is, you know, any of those foods that don't fit into what you consider to be safe foods for you, does that disrupt your sense of peace and happiness and safety? So I think that these are really good questions, um, to see where that line gets blurred between, you know, making good, healthy choices and having a very negative psychological impact. What do you reckon, Ash? Look, and I think that's the, the biggest challenge, isn't it? Because we, we, we're not big fans of labeling anything or anyone in the sense that, um, it's not always helpful to label someone and say, Oh, they've definitely got orthorexia nervosa. Because at the end of the day, when you're the person experiencing this, it's not necessarily a choice. It's become a psychological sort of dependency towards the, the behaviors you have. So it's, um, it should be treated the same way as any other, you know, eating disorder in the sense that there's got to be certain ways in which we can transition ourselves out of that space. The biggest challenge though is I think from when I was, you know, looking through this thinking, well, hang on, how do I not, for me, it's the, the biggest criteria is the flexibility or lack of, you yes. know, and that, and that lack of flexibility, that rigidity to sticking to the rules under every circumstance, um, experiencing a lot of self-loathing or distress or, um, you know, shame or, or guilt if you break the rules, you know, and that's something yeah. when you start to become self-deprecating or, or to be, uh, be, you know, putting yourself in the naughty corner because you made the wrong choice, then that's a problem. And I think this is where we need to sort of start to look at the promotion of all of our different forms, you know, whether it be you must eat organic or you must eat whole or raw or vegan or whatever it is, um, with a little bit more flexibility, understanding that our amazing human body is not, uh, well, we say the body is a temple, absolutely, but it's also an incredibly adaptive system that can handle stress and stress can be physical, chemical and emotional. We are designed to survive stress. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. <laughs> Our forefathers would have mm -hmm. died out. Um, you know, they wouldn't have adapted to the changes in the environment and therefore we wouldn't be here to talk about this, you know, conversation right now. But I think that um, for me it's really the fixation and the inflexibility and the constant um, obsessive, you know, thinking all day, every day, what you're eating, how you're eating, what others are eating, you know, that's where we need to sort of talk about, well, 
what are our options? How can we prevent mm. ourselves falling into that trap? Because I certainly know that um, it can be really challenging when let's just say, let's take, for example, we quit sugar. We take sugar out of the equation and we notice how much better we feel. And then someone says, oh, go gluten-free. So suddenly you sugar-free and gluten-free and you also feel perfectly great. You feel amazing because you would taking yeah. those two essential toxins out of your system. Absolutely. And so this is where we start to stretch. And because the, I think there's a lot of, um, there's almost like a bit of a dopamine high, the success of the, the change. I did it. I've done it. You know, it's that sort of um, uh, desire to do something achieving the goal, not breaking the rules and then seeking the next challenge. And so yeah. this is why we tend to find, uh, you know, a lot of people are out there looking online, scrolling through Instagram, checking out all these, you know, hot bods, gorgeous photos of women and people doing amazing things like salivating of, you know, all this food blogging, um, just looking at food photos all day long. That's when things can start to turn a little bit more um, obsessive, I'd say. You know, this is where once we start to isolate our feeds into just one dimension, so we start to look at all our social media surrounding food, food photos, food blogging, um, body image related to food blogging, that's when we start to see how we're eliminating the balance. You know, we're not looking at the social, emotional relationships we have, our work life, our, you know, sport and health and fitness. We start to become very one dimensional. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, the way that I see this manifest in patients that we see is uh, it will be subtle little things like they will be obsessed with the minutiae. And I know that we certainly experienced uh, some of this in some of the programs that we've run as well is that um, there is that hypervigilance to do everything absolutely perfectly. And, you know, I have had patients who sit there and almost justify to me at such lengths about what they're doing and what they're making and the fact that they're doing this from scratch and they're not eating that, it, it, almost too the point that it sounds like they're almost trying to convince themselves rather than anybody else. Mm. Um, and the other really common thing that I see when it really manifests very problematically is when someone might have had some sort of uh, debilitating or crippling health condition or something that was really disturbing for them. So say that they've got really severe um, IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and they started restricting foods and they noticed some changes like what you mentioned, Ash. And then they've got to the point where their flexibility around the things that they can eat to stay asymptomatic is so restricted that and no sort of uh, maybe no real healing has happened, but they've just restricted their foods so much that they can exist within this very um, small kind of reference range um, with a handful of things that they're not currently reacting to and that they're terrified to add anything more or expand that because they think that they'll get a recurrence of their symptoms. Um, and that is like such a horrible state for them to be in 
and also like pretty hard to change as well, um, especially when their symptoms have been so debilitating in the past. Yeah, and the big challenge there is too, regardless of what's going on in that person's um, inside, you know, thought processes, often on the outside, it's friends and family saying, wow, you're looking amazing. Um, You know, often it coincides with losing weight and, you know, sometimes if there's, you know, carrying excess weight in the beginning, it can look very satisfying to see a big body shape. So there's reinforcement, lots of positive reinforcement that they're looking great. What great choices. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, wow. You know, can't believe you're doing that. I couldn't do that. So there's a lot of um, validation being achieved by doing so. Um, Unfortunately, what tends to happen over time, though, is then we start to move more into the I guess, health harming stage. And that's where significant amounts of weight have been lost or they're starting to show up with nutritional deficiencies, um, changes, things like women. One of the very early signs will be changes in the menstrual cycle, losing the menstrual cycle. Uh, that's, you know, really concerning. That doesn't make me excited. And so, oh, wow, congratulations. I'm thinking, oh, no, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, um, yeah, and, yet, exactly. and yet to everyone else, they're getting lots of credit. You know, people are saying, hey, look amazing in photos. And it continues to reinforce that behavior. So it can be a really big challenge um, when someone's in that space to know how to support them in a way that's going to be helpful to bring them out of um, the self-imposed restrictions because breaking the rules, it reminds me, even though I was more flexible in other areas of my eating, but it does remind me somewhat of my mindset surrounding vegetarianism when I was vegetarian uh, slash vegan, I'm in and out of that. Yep. But to have that first mouthful of meat after having been vegetarian for so long actually caused me to cry. <laughs> you know, like, it was so yeah. distressing. And yet, yeah. you know, and so in some ways that was a distorted mindset around that eating pattern because it caused me significant distress to change it. Um, Oh, Ash, I hear. And I went through, like, I was vegetarian for a long time as well and then became vegan and then became a raw vegan uh, and probably not consciously, but I think subconsciously I was super judgmental of people who were doing things other than what I was doing at the time. Mm. Uh, And it wasn't until my health suffered so much and, you know, the same as you, that I had to reintroduce animal products, um, Mm. you know, to that I lost so much of that judgment and I really had to kind of eat humble pie, I guess, um, with that. So, so fascinating. But that's a big challenge, isn't it? And that's the biggest thing too is when um, – and I, I find that for, you know, my patients who've had, I would say, disordered eating behaviours, um, a big challenge as well is that they've been so um, – vocal and so fixated on it for such a period of time, everyone around them knows about it. They've Mm -hmm. often enforced their belief structures on everyone around them. And it's very hard to go back from that. Um, yeah. that preaching because you know you, yeah. you said no you can't you shouldn't do that and you've made people feel bad about their choices at a dinner table and people sit there going oh god I shouldn't eat that beside her and should I order this and oh will I do that and then all of a sudden if you you know realize that that's affecting your life in so many other areas because you no longer have pleasure and enjoyment with the people around you I mean food should be pleasurable and enjoyable and it should be there as a community to enjoy together and if that's no longer possible then the challenges coming out of that is being able to admit to yourself and to others 
that there's a problem that you want to change and, yes, you know, to say yeah. to people, oh, no, no, I'm going to eat meat now or, or whatever it is. And they'll, you know, the first thing, oh, but I thought you were vegetarian. And, you know, and that's what I had too. I had this sort of snappy like, oh, aren't you vegetarian? And I had to keep saying, um, yeah, well, I was. And almost so many of those questions went, you know what, I'm just going to be vegetarian again. <laughs> so oh, um, I, and I totally shouldn't laugh understand. about it. There's but a huge amount of guilt that goes with it. that as exactly. well. Um, and I think that, oh, I'm sure that I still, you know, feel guilty when I eat animal products um, because, you know, like ethically and morally, it doesn't really sit well with me. However, right now it's what my body needs. So it's, Mm. you know, making that conscious decision and doing everything that you can to make sure that it's as humane as physically possible and that your body receives it in the best possible way. And I think that this, the fact that there's even a condition that could be diagnosable like orthorexia nervosa. I think that this is very telling of our age of that obsessiveness and control over certain things like food. And I think that what everyone needs to remember is that food and and the diet is only ever one piece of the puzzle when we're looking at well-being and health. Uh, like for example, if you remember, remember what our grandmothers or even just our mothers ate, they ate bread, they ate butter, they drank wine. They probably drank wine during their pregnancies maybe. And we know that some of the healthiest populations in the world that live the longest are also the ones that are not restrictive with their diets, but those are the ones who actually connect over food. So when they eat, they sit down as a family, they share food, they often eat with their hands and it's, it's a process and it's, it has meaning and purpose to it. And there's definitely no, you know, obsession or, um, I guess, ill ideas about what that food is and how they receive it. Well, you can guarantee in those blue zones where they live the longest, those, you know, interesting areas around the globe that they've found, you know, longevity um, is so, I guess, so obvious because there's so many people over the age of 80 and 90 living well, healthy, you know, low rates of cancer, diabetes, heart conditions, dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, all the big things that are affecting uh, most of us in in modern culture. Um, And I'm, absolutely certain they would not be sitting there talking about whether they're having paleo or whether they're uh whether the alkaline diet is you know on track or i'm just you know this is just i guess they'd look and look at us in this you know modern i guess world of restrictive diets like almost like what the hell (laughs) don't you just eat food like eat good quality food doesn't that just make sense um and i think that's one of the biggest challenges is to help uh to change our thought process around that is to realize that whilst food is medicine which is the big challenge too because that's Mm -hmm. a isn't that in itself there's so much push of this concept um and catchphrase food is medicine that for a lot of people anything that goes in the mouth they're only thinking of it in the black and white definition of okay this is medicine so um if it's not healthy then it's then I'm, I'm hurting myself, then I'm harming myself, then I could be causing cancer or I could be, you know, accelerating the aging process in my body, creating free radicals. Like this is where that idea of Yeah, mindset. but when they fixate on that too much, then they're completely ignoring that mind-body medicine. Correct, yes. Right? They're completely ignoring the fact that 
when you are in that stressed state, that obsessive state around that food, think about that response that that actually has in your system. So that is still a stress response. That's still a sympathetically driven, um, like in terms of your nervous system response that is going to have a physiological effect. So can you imagine um, not having, like when you're, when you're eating those things and you're obsessing over it, during that stress response. So we know that digestion does not do well when we're in that state. And if you're in that all day long, because you're ignoring the fact that that mind body connection, that association that you're creating with these things is often more harmful than actually, you know, maybe having a glass of wine or whatever it might be. And it's funny having observed the change in, for example, Damien Christoph, um, since going to, um, oh, I can't remember what the Greek Island is where they have the highest number of centenarians in the world. And, Icarus. And, I- Icarus, that's right. And the centenarians are not outliers. Well, Icaria, Icaria. They're, Icarus was the it? thing that flew close to the sun. That was the oh, Greek man. mythology. Okay. <laughs> I think it's yeah, Icaria. It, is, it has been way too long of a, of a day for me to be able to, uh, to discuss that. But, um, the Greek Island where they, they do their, their beautiful retreats, um, and they do have such a high rate of centenarians. And it was funny that Damien was always so dogmatic about food. And he always used to say that, uh, the, what causes the, um, you know, the most amount of disease is food. It was all always food. And now he has done like such a, um, you know, 180, like, I know Damien from way back in New Zealand and back then he was, you know, absolutely dogmatic about it. And now I will sit down with him and he'll eat a burger in front of me. And never in my life did I think that I would ever see Damien Christoph eating a gluten burger. (laughs) Mm. Um, But he is absolutely convinced now that the secrets to longevity are the connection that you have within your community, that sense of purpose, the decreased stress on your system and obviously like a really well-functioning nervous system. And food is is certainly a part of that, but it is not the be-all and end-all. Um, and I think that that is really key for us to remember. Yeah. So I think ladies, if you feel as though, you know, there's a lot of um, elements of, I guess, guilt associated with food and food choices, if you find yourself self-punishing for um, poor choices, and a great example of that is, let's just say, you know, having a binge out and then suddenly going on a detox um, or and, <laughs> and, and doing that repeatedly, so you know, so, something where we have this disordered eating approach rather than saying, okay just good food well and often and it's okay to have you know uh, a catch up with friends on the weekend and have this and have that and then not have to come about monday and do a detox because you've got to get all that bad stuff out of your body um that's you know there's some hallmarks of uh, a disordered approach to eating and we know that you know it it'll eventually if it's not already it'll eventually erode your sense of happiness it will erode mm-hmm. your sense of self-esteem. Um, in the beginning, it's a source of self-esteem because there's that control component to it. You feel, I guess it's almost like virtue. You, you, your purity is there and it seems like, you know, everything else that uh, everyone else is doing is totally inferior to what you're doing. So there's almost like a superiority component to it as well, which is why I smile and think of, you know, my own experiences in my life thinking, yeah, I've, I've been there to some degree. Um, the big challenge is looking in the mirror and saying, hey, you know what? I'm here to enjoy my life. 
I'm here to eat well for health. Um, and if this is something that you think is of concern to you, then maybe it's worth chatting to someone trusted. It could be a girlfriend, it could be a friend, um, or it could be professional advice, you know, sought through a, a counselor, a psychologist, or someone who, you know, can really help you. But just to know that the first step to dealing with anything uh, like this, of any form of eating disorders, any form of mental health, emotional health disturbances, is to acknowledge the problem, to acknowledge that, mm -hmm. you know, this is not serving you, it's not making you happier, it's controlling your life in some way. And once you can, you know, acknowledge the problem, then there's obviously going to be opportunities for you to then move towards gentle and, I guess, satisfying transitions and changes that will make you feel better without feeling like you are failing yourself. And I think that's the big thing. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the time you want to change something, you feel like a failure for wanting to change that. So, you know, seeking help will help you restore that balance and obviously drive some moderation to things that you do, which will make you feel happier and better. It'll prevent, you know, issues of malnutrition. And in co of course, in females, that means absolutely out of whack, crazy, batshit crazy um, hormone problems. And, you know, that's yeah. that's what our reset was all about in the, in the beginning was to say, hey, look, we agree. We absolutely agree with there's certain food groups we want to eliminate for periods of time through healing processes, but these can't be eliminated for lifetimes. Um, and we went um, through a reintroduction phase of, mm. you know, so many of those as well. Uh, yeah. And Ash, I think that it's important for women to understand as well that if you do fit into that category of you may have ended up in this situation because of some sort of condition or symptom that has created or forced you into being so restrictive with your food, then maybe it's time to actually see someone who can actually help you with that to get to the bottom of it mm. and actually heal from that properly so that you can have the most varied diet possible because we know that that's, you know, we don't want to be restrictive with food as much as possible. We do obviously acknowledge that there's some things like for me, I won't touch gluten because, you know, I can't, I've minimized dairy and I'm highly allergic to quinoa. So, you know, and that is, hopefully as restrictive as I get. Um, and I'm not obviously not going to eat something that's not food. So if it's full of like additives and toxins and all of that sort of crap, and I just, you know, don't consider that to be food. However, if you do fit into that kind of picture where it is a symptom or something that has created this for you, then definitely speak to your functional health practitioners um, or a chat to us as well to see if we can help. I think that that's really important. Uh, usually we will end episodes with giving you, you know, like step by step, here is some great advice or these are our, you know, holistic um, kind of steps. But I think with this one, like you mentioned, Ash, start by talking to a trusted, you know, confidant, whether that's a girlfriend or a practitioner or a professional, um, and just acknowledge that there is an issue. And I think that we also really need to remember how incredible our body is. Like our system has the most profound innate intelligence that can deal with pretty much anything that you throw at it. And if you read the biology of belief from Bruce Lipton, um, he is very, very clear about the association that you place on something uh, is so much more important than anything else. So for example, if you're eating a McDonald's I don't know, Big Mac, and you sit there and you truly believe that that is the best thing for your system in that moment, then it will be. 
Um, and there's been studies that have actually shown that as well. So we know that that mind-body medicine, the association that we place and the emphasis that we place on things is so, so important. So I would love to encourage you to just have a good think about how amazing your body is and how clever that innate intelligence is and how it can receive things very differently based on that association that we make. I love that. And it's just so core to everything we are as humans, realizing that, you know, within us lies more power than we ever could realize or acknowledge. Um, and to tap into that power when we're at these times of transition or challenge, because it's such a human problem to have this, you know, like to have experiences like this. We've both been you know, such a first world problem, right? A bit not to diminish it, but yeah, it really is. Yeah, but on the flip side, it's, it's, it's part of being human. You know, it's part sure. of this mind of, of making choices and it's part of our coping strategy at times when we're possibly lacking in certain things, you know, whether it be self-esteem or um, our desire to achieve perfectionism, whatever it is, it's such a human characteristic. So it's not that hard to fall into the spectrum of orthorexia just simply because we're trying to do something that we can get control over. So, you know, ladies, what we would love you to get from this episode that is – we want you to realize whilst food is medicine, okay, it's just one part of the big picture of health and well-being. It's one part of your life and it is absolutely not the center of the circle, okay? Um, and I think this is where a lot of people will put the, the food in the center and everything else falls around it and that's not correct. It's a beautiful, almost like a, a circle, a chain. They all link to each other but not one is more important than the other. Um, it's part of that harmony and balance that comes from mind, body, spirit, food, relationships, workplace environments, you know, family, friends, um, our desires and dreams. There's so many components to that. And if we can remember that balance is the key, then we'll realize that anytime we, we put, say, for example, food on the pedestal above all else, then potentially there could be a problem with our, our health and well-being. Mm, yeah. Okay. Perfect. I think that's a great place to kind of end up. So ladies, uh, remember we're on social media and we would love for you to connect with us. Um, and feel free to, you know, start a conversation about that, you know, this topic with us. So that is facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. Uh, Instagram is the wellness women official. Um, Dr. Ash and I also have pages. Um, my brand new Facebook, uh, professional Facebook page is, um, facebook.com forward Forward slash the period whisperer. I'm embracing the uh, <laughs> the, the nickname and um, Ash is facebook.com forward slash Dr. Ashley Bond. Um, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, and ladies, if you want to join the reset with us, we would love to have you on board. We would love to connect with you um, and, you know, kind of meet you sort of in person in that sense. And we would love to help you through this journey as well. Um, so don't hesitate to check that out. And ladies, until next week. Be well. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. The only lesson is ever going to be your learning. That's it. As long as you're learning, that's your lesson. When you stand in front of the mirror, the talk, the things that go on between these ears in the morning can also be what sets you up for a day. And if you've beaten yourself up for not being the most extraordinary person that you can be, then start now. We make it hard for ourselves. We make things difficult for ourselves because we go and apply a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of I'm not good enough to the things that occur in our lives. Wake the heck up. Today is a new day and here's where it can change. 
Kim Morrison and Karen Smith feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.